Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Mike, Mike. Yeah, Chris, what's up? I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just inspired. I want to do that, re- that, that, that intro okay, music do it. in grunge sometimes. Oh, grunge. grunge. Okay. This is our new intro now. <laughs> Chris and I riff on how to rewrite the intro song. So welcome to AZ Brandcast, everybody, where we talk to all sorts of awesome people about the power of brand and how to build great brands in our remarkable state of Arizona. I'm Mike Jones and my co-host. Chris Stadler, what's up? Hey, Chris. I'm so hey, glad Mike. that we're doing this again. I know. It's awesome. It's it's every month, and yet it sometimes feels like ages between them. It's uh, always so much happens. But it's always a pleasure, never a chore. No. Always. Yes. I don't know. One of those things. Always, anyway. always and never, yes. <laughs> I'm super excited to have Ryan Quinn on from Bright Guest. Uh, Ryan and I have known each other for a couple years now, through mostly through Phoenix Startup Week and different avenues and areas of work that we've each done in that. But I'm really excited to actually do this about Bright Guest. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. Um, for those that don't know, Bright Guest is uh, personalized microsites and text messaging uh, helping organizations grow engagement and giving. And primarily, you guys are focused on nonprofits, right. correct? Mm-hmm. You use real-time insights that personalize messaging and content to the individual, uh, making it easy for nonprofits to create dynamic mobile pages and deliver to their audiences through frictionless channels. Yep. I love all those words. Yeah, those, those are, are great. good words. Those are good words. <laughs> those are important words. Those are very important words. I'm, I'm excited to dig into some of those Sounds in awesome. a little bit. Um, and you in particular, Ryan, Ryan Quinn is founder and CEO of Brightguest. Um, you focus on the business development and product innovation within your company. Uh, you're a data guy. That's your background. And uh, in business intelligence and analytics, um, you're in Startup AZ Collective. That's awesome. I think I knew that and I had already forgotten it. That yeah. You're doing the cohort this year? So I was the second year's cohort. And I okay. believe they're into their fourth or fifth year now. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and been involved in the Phoenix startup community, helping plan Phoenix Startup Week the past few years. And I've seen how much work you've put into that you firsthand. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun being in the trenches on that together. Yeah. And then you are just super passionate about helping nonprofits, giving back to your community, and growing the local startup community or ecosystem here in the Valley, uh, which I love that that's one of your passions. Mm-hmm. Um, you enjoy living in Gilbert, which is good. I'm glad you enjoy living there. You saw it. Yeah, Eastside, <laughs> um, and spending time with your family. So let's talk about how founders can find success getting started in Phoenix. But first, before we do that, we have to mention Conscious Capitalism. Chris, do you want to give a little shout out to Conscious Capitalism Arizona? No. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I love these guys. Yeah. Conscious Capitalism Arizona. So uh, they're, they're our sponsors. Uh, it's it's a local association. Mm-hmm. Um bent on world dominating now just kidding um, <laughs> on a mission to share with the whole world how doing good in your business is good business mm-hmm. right uh the local chapter of conscious capitalism incorporated hosts tons of local events uh, and provides resources for business leaders to instill a higher purpose in their company and engage all their stakeholders so if you're wondering hey i'm a business and i'm trying to figure out how do i you know, we all have our idea of conscious, but how do you want, uh, do you want to introduce a system into mm-hmm. your business that will help you lead it into being a conscious business across the board? You want to be around other people who are doing the same. Uh, check out, check into 
Conscious Capitalism. You can find out more at ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com. Mm-hmm. And Mike, you're uh, you're you're involved in that as well. Yeah, so we're very yeah. They connected. I don't know if they suckered me in, but they asked me to join the leadership team recently. So I'm I'm helping out with that. That's a win for them. I, and a win for you. Yeah, I hope right. so. It should be a win-win. That's right. Which is what conscious capitalism is all about. Helping people and all their stakeholders win yep. through business, which I think is one of the reasons I really like like the movement and I love the group. Um, there's some great events coming up very soon. Um, I know we've got one actually tomorrow morning, which is already sold out um, up in Scottsdale at Kaiser Co. Um, but then we've got another event coming in September, and I know there's more coming this fall. So I highly recommend everybody check out ConsciousCapitalismAZ.com. Get on the newsletter list. That's probably the best, easiest way for people to find out what's coming up um, and what's going on with the chapter. So, right on, right yeah. On. Cool. Can I do the icebreaker? Mike? Of course. Sweet. All right. So we were, so this is nonprofit, yep. right? The, so, so bright guest nonprofit, Ryan Quinn. So the, the question is related to nonprofits. So if you had time what would you start a nonprofit to fight? What your, what's your pet peeve, right? And I can give you an example with, with mine. What's yours, Chris? One. So you know how when you're like pulling out and someone's going to turn and then I use their turn signal? Mm. Mm. It's like right up there with mothers against drunk drivers, right? It would just be like, <laughs> it would be something like, like, turn, like responsible turn signal users against irresponsible turns because i mean you want to pull out right and you're like i could pull out but the, oh, it looks like they're they're going straight they're going but then straight they turn, they and you're like what the heck i missed my window because you didn't put any tracing yeah. so you know so so, so, so what what uh pet peeve uh would you start a nonprofit for mm. what should there be out there that's just like there ought to be a law you know or <laughs> something like that you know public service announcement a, campaign a public service campaign to stop whatever yeah annoys you well i have an idea but i want to hear if ryan's got one first okay so the only thing i could really think of is um something would have to be technology related Mm. because i think most of my frustrations because i'm in tech all day long would be tech related so probably just like bad ux or something like that (laughs) yeah i like it there's an entire association against bad ux right there you go i I can get on board with that. like a media organization i'd be a member exposes exposes on ux I wonder if there's like a dark UX, like dark pattern, like malicious UX association. On the dark web. On the dark web. That's the first rule. (laughs) You guys could get masks and like, yeah. We'd have to stop talking about it on the radio though. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the first rule. First rule of, yeah, right. You can't claim to be a member. (laughs) Don't talk about it. Mine is in the driving category as well. Ah, Chris, okay. I, I don't know. That was the first thing when you said pet peeves, things that <laughs> pop in my head usually have to do with driving. Okay. Uh, I have a pet peeve with people who it, it's not that they tailgate. They just don't follow enough to where they can then not have to break every time the person in front of them lets off the gas for even mm. like the briefest moment. Um, so I would start some kind of public service campaign around like, let's teach you how to actually use your right foot uh, in the car. and then. Uh, We'll figure that out, right? I love Let's, that. Yeah. One thing that's always bothered me in traffic now that you bring traffic up is that accordion effect when the light turns green. Yep. It seems like nobody goes. And I know this is like a human thing because yep. it always happens, but yep. it makes sense to me that you'd just be able to all accelerate at the same time. You should. And I th- I've seen studies with like computer modeling for driverless cars when they're looking at like if you had computers all operating in those cars, yep. 
even if they weren't like talking to each other, they should be able to sense it like, like, like infinitesimally smaller than what, mm-hmm. like the shorter amount of time than what a human can process. Brains. And there's basically no accordion effect. So like when the light turns green, like you have 50 cars all go at the exact same time. That's the a exact happy world speed. to live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that assumes though that, you know, driverless cars are all like, you know, not manually shifts. So, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what I always notice is I'm like, I always know when I'm right behind somebody who's got a manual shifter because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to slow down for a second here. All right. And now we're speeding back up. Oh, we're slowing down again. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You're I'm, that, I'm that guy. Do I have, you have, a, a, manual? I have a manual. I know. I and I turn my that. air conditioner off. When <laughs> <I take> off. <laughs> and so I can actually accelerate yep. with everybody else. Siri's getting in on the Siri. conversation here. I didn't know we had Siri as a, as, a, as a guest. We'll have to revamp our questions here. She's, well, she's let's, a, she's a let's less, move on to something a little more serious now. She's a less bright guest. As much as I'm peeved by people's driving, okay. I don't know if I'm going to spend the energy to build a nonprofit for that. All right. Bummer. Oh, well. Cool. So, um, so let's, uh, so Ryan, talk, talk a little bit about bright guests. Tell us a little more what it is, because I heard you talk. I heard you talk at House of Genius, which we haven't mentioned yet. Um, shout mm-hmm. out to House of Genius. Brian Stinson yep. uh, invited me to that. We heard you talk, um, but now I get to be a front row guest and ask you whatever questions I want. But uh, let's start by having you just tell us a little bit about our guests. Sure. Really, it all stems from the idea that you know email as a tool to get people's attention, compel action, uh, just isn't as effective anymore as it used to be. Um, there are various reasons for that, <clears throat> but uh, with nonprofits, they are profoundly reliant on that engagement piece, and email happens to still be their primary outreach channel. Uh, so we wanted to build a way for them to connect with their audiences, invite their supporters into the story they're telling, and create a real personalized journey for them. Whatever that call to action is, uh, whether it's donations, whether it's volunteerism, advocacy, that call to action is going to be much more likely if the experience is personalized and the messaging around that is personal. Um, so that's kind of the whole story of why we made it. So, so it was, <clears throat> so traditionally people use email for that, right? Right. But, but that's not where things are going. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. You know, there's several reasons why email isn't as effective anymore. Um, everything from spam filters to just the history of purchasing lists over time, um, you know, people have created multiple email addresses, but if you look at things like text messaging or social chat, you know, people typically have one phone number mm-hmm. and the regulations around protecting communication over text is, um, much more closely, uh, regulated than with emails. And so that being the case, people have to opt into those communications, um, and you have to provide ways for them to opt out. And without compliance, there's steep fines. Um, so again, much more regulated and protected. So in other words, uh, when people do get, if you do have their permission, you're going to have a lot more of their attention because they're going to be getting fewer of those spam emails or spam spam over text rather than email. Right. Um, and the text, you know, by itself isn't enough, right? It's a way to really get in front of somebody's eyeballs. But then our goal is to get them out of that message bubble as quickly as possible and start to interact with content. Hmm. And that's where the personalization piece comes in. As consumers, we're all used to Netflix, Amazon, curating content and experiences based on our behavior. And as an organization, when you don't 
employ those tactics, when you don't have personalized ways of speaking to your audiences and segmenting them, it feels spammy. Hmm. And so for nonprofits, it's really impactful for them to be able to, you know, create segments of their audiences and speak to those segments in a way that feels personal, but at scale. Yep. Totally. So now can you describe real quick, like, a like, let's say I was signing up for something. Um, well, what would the, what would the email or the, sorry, what would the connection sequence maybe look like for someone like me? Is that, or do we need an example company? Sure. For example, uh, one very company. popular way of, you know, kicking off the uh, campaigns on our platform is around events. It's, it's great for ongoing communication, but events are an effective way of growing that list. So for you attending an event or maybe some type of gala or fundraiser or activity uh, would be for you to have some incentive to opt in, but you're also probably passionate about that cause. So that's a great incentive as well. And also, if it just makes sense that that's the way that you're going to be uh, disseminated information about the event, that's how you, a great way to start it. And then through personalization and touch points over time and staying top of mind, that, that conversation can continue um, outside of the context of the singular event. Okay, so I might get, I might like, uh, so with the Conscious Capitalism annual conference, we had, it might be something where you, where you usher someone into an event and into further engagement um, over time through that personalized experience. Mm -hmm. I might start out with a text. It might invite me to download an app or sign up for an email list or something like that that would then kind of engage me further. Is that kind of the... Yeah. So there's anything you can do on, on the mobile pages. So the, the power of the platform is the microsites. So it's ah, a series okay. of touch points that provide personalized uh, content and mm -hmm. messaging. The text is just how we get people to those landing pages. Okay. Right? So anything that you can do with a mobile page, you can do through the platform. Uh, that includes you know, images, videos, interactive forums. You can embed Instagram and Facebook posts. Um, Click, click throughs to download apps, uh, whatever the, the whatever makes sense based on the use case, use case. Um, but the idea is because you're outside the text message bubble, you're able to create that content rich and personalized call to action. So you, so you're a data person, Mike interrupt. I'm stealing. No, 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 this is great. Um, I'm just soaking it in. So as a data person, you're probably really interested in, okay, well then what, uh, if we want to personalize the page for them, well, what data points can we bring in to make that more personal and still, reliable and where there's like a low, low instance of getting the wrong piece of information, but like how did, you know, so you're probably interested in how do we make that more personal mm -hmm. in an automated way? Yeah. So analytics is huge. Um, and not just to be able to use the analytics and the metrics of behavior to provide the service, but also to report on the effectiveness of that. It's one thing to just do something that's, you know, useful. It's another thing to show that it was useful and why. Um, so that's a big part of it. On our platform, everything that people do is an indicator of potential interest in a category of content. And so, you know, that's one aspect of it. Um, integrations are another big priority for us. So integrating with other tools that can pass information through uh, that might indicate, you know, that somebody is interested in a category of content. It's all about understanding your audience in a way that you can speak directly to them. So that's kind of what everybody is um, engaging with on our platform. And then through integrations, you can tie that back into others like CRMs. So, so you don't care. You're agnostic as far as like what kinds of tools, like a new tool could come along, like a new version of text messaging or something, a new social medium where everybody's using Snapchat or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. 
um, you don't care about that. What you care about is, okay, we can use all those things. They all lead to and from the landing page, right? right. That microsite, that customized microsite that's customized for each person. Okay. That's yeah, a great so. point because right now texting is the dominant form of communication, but social chat has 5 billion monthly active users like Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or WeChat. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are another relevant way of getting people's attention and bringing them into browser. So the end result is the same. How you get them there might evolve over time. So you guys are really about, you guys are probably really... <laughs> I'm almost hearing you say you're a research company, like you, like you're, like you have this, you have this platform. But what I'm hearing is that the the real genius and value of this platform is really like what we can do with it next. Like what kind of information is coming in? How do we optimize? How do we build models to figure out, you know, how all right people who do all these things like a fingerprint and saying everybody with this fingerprint is going to have this kind of is that, I mean, just because you're a data guy, I'm maybe, I'm maybe inserting that in here. But you tell me, am I right or wrong? I think it's important uh, for us and really every company to balance um, the whole data priority as well as to ensure that you're giving as much value to the customer as possible. That doesn't mm -hmm. always mean it's data. But you can use data to understand your customer. So not just being able to um, drive value, but giving your customers a channel to give you feedback on how it's delivering that value and then using that to iterate or evolve over time. Um, again, that's a data thing as well. So the, the real reason we're here is to give value to the customer and to give them an opportunity to succeed or win that they wouldn't otherwise might have the opportunity to do. Nice. And then right now you're focusing on nonprofits. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I kind of want to shift gears slightly. I want to hear a little bit about kind of how you got started with Brightguest and that kind of story leading up to today. Okay. A little bit more of the startup story, if you're cool with that. Yeah. So the power of the pivot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's the title of the show right there. So the whole idea was always to create um, a way of engaging audiences or people um, where there might not have been an opportunity to do so. The original idea was quite different from what it evolved into. Mm. And I think it's important, um, you know, as founding teams of companies to kind of embrace that, that what they set out to do might not be what is mm -hmm. they scale into market with. So the original idea for us was engaging people while they were waiting uh, for their table at restaurants, sort of like disrupt the coaster pager, <laughs> give them a more engaged experience. Um, and um, we were able to build proof of concept. And um, once we were in market, we saw that the data we were getting from the engagement piece showed that um, there was something very interesting there that might make sense to break it off and create sort of a self-service dashboard and see, okay, what markets can we really create an impact in? And so we cast a wide net and we saw various different use cases uh, with various different levels of success. And once we found that nonprofits were able to really um, move the needle with some of their metrics, uh, we really honed in on that and really developed for that use case. Um, so technically, it's a market agnostic tool, but the market that we're focused on with nonprofits are so reliant on the engagement piece that it really makes sense for us to pay attention and to add as much value to nonprofits mm. as we can. That's awesome. Um, and when did you guys start Brightcast? Uh, technically, you... it was late 2014. Okay. So you guys are about five years in now? Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, how has that experience been, like building a startup here in the Valley and just the you know support 
system here and you know how is that how's that worked out for you guys yes phoenix is an amazing city to start a company in Mm. Um, and i say that mainly because of the uh, support networks that you can find here you know that's one of the one of the things that i've learned as being a key contributor in your ability to sustain yourself and to grow is to create almost like a tribe of you know other people that are in the trenches that are doing it that have done it they've made the same mistakes you are going to make and can kind of guide you and also for you to have a channel to give back sort of synergistically um, the opportunities that come out of that are immense. And at first, it can seem like you're actually distracting yourself because you're not like in it every single day. But those distractions um, actually can lead to solving problems that you wouldn't have been able to solve on your own. That's awesome. Have there been like particular groups or individuals that have been like kind of more helpful than maybe others for you or yeah so startup az collective mm-hmm. has been a great um community to be engaged with and it's and it's often so it's like you know there's there's monthly activities um and it's almost like therapy because <laughs> you're you're you know engaging with people that can relate to some of the problems that you might not be able to talk to employees about or family because they wouldn't they're not on the same uh, mm-hmm. plane Phoenix Startup Week has been amazing to be a part of as well and to just see all the different um, aspects of that that kind of work synergistically together and all the community that comes together for that. Um, Those kind of events, those kinds of initiatives um, really give Phoenix a unique cultural DNA of its startup Mm -hmm. scene that you don't find in other places. Every city is unique in its own way. Um, And um, I think that you know, what Phoenix is going to look like in the next decade from a startup uh, company's growth perspective um, is going to be, you know, very competitive with some of the larger areas in very different ways. What are what are some of those ways that you maybe think that it's going to be more competitive? I think that there's a lot of um, initiative. There's a lot of uh, importance being placed on how do we define Phoenix as its own unique um, accelerator or hotbed for companies to not only start, but also to attract from other places. So, you know, there's a lot of economics around why having a business here makes sense that uh, might not be possible, especially from a startup standpoint in San Francisco or some other areas that are notorious for having, you know, (laughs) unicorns. But I think with Phoenix, because we're placing this emphasis on how do we define our niche and how do we create that community? How do we make it attractive for VCs to invest in companies here? Just the nature of us really trying to figure that out on our own is um, going to give it that uniqueness Mm -hmm. that will play out over the next decade. That's awesome. Yeah. Chris, did you have another question? Because I had one and I lost it. No, I just, I I love what you just said. It sounds like, um, it sounds like I mean, it's kind of like music to my ears when you talk about how Phoenix is, it sounds like what you just said is creating its own philosophy of like how to attract, like how to become this place, like asking the question. Because obviously if you, if you're just like, oh, I just want to be like the Bay Area, Bay, Bay Area, right? Like, all right, cool. So we're a cheaper Bay Area. And Mike and I don't want to hear that. Like, that's not, that can't be the depth, <laughs> right. right? That can't be the only thing that's good about Phoenix is we're just a little cheaper, right? Right. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that that the conversations are are um, from those conversations are emerging uh, meaning that's unique to to the Phoenix area. Yeah, just naturally by the process of making it important, it's going to be play a big role in making you unique. 
Mm-hmm. Have there been any distinctives? And I'm asking, I'll ask, I'll, I'm, I'm going to ask Mike too. Um, just you guys both being startup week guys. Um, are there any distinctives you guys have seen from um, that have come from these conversations that stand out that are just like, oh, this is not something maybe we've seen or you'd expect from San Francisco or Boston or wherever, you know? You know, I'm not 100% sure, but what I would say I've seen is that there's a lot of recognition that just doing the same thing in a different way doesn't necessarily move the needle. Um, like for instance, with mentoring, you know, sitting down, having a conversation, you can have an impact, but how do you measure that impact? And so really understanding that going into it, like, what does it mean? What does success look like coming out of this conversation and understanding and defining that before even going into it? I see a lot of emphasis on that here in Phoenix. And that's just a result of a lot of founders wanting to give back their time, you know, and meeting with people and giving perspective. And it's like, is this really making an impact, the things I'm telling this person? And how can I measure that? Very, yeah. Sounds very practical. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think I, I'd echo that. I think the other thing or the other piece that I've seen a lot in my interactions in the startup community here is we're at, I mean, and this kind of harkens back to that episode that we had with Brandon Clark uh, and his partner from Cradle. And just, we have this nexus of cultures that I think is a little bit unique. I don't know that, I, I don't know if I'd stake my claim on exclusivity of that yet, <laughs> but I think there is something really unique about like the difference, like the different kind of at a large scale, the different cultures that our city kind of encompasses, right? You have this kind of mix of Mexico meets U.S. You have the Southwest, a lot of transplants here from the Midwest and even from East Coast and certainly from California. And so like, I don't know, there's a certain kind of like to harken back to a probably dated term, but like kind of that kind of mixing bowl of creative ideas from different cultures all coming together in one place. And I think from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that means that there's just a lot of different ways that people are thinking about starting a business, whether that's like a business for scale, right? Whether that's technology-based or not technology-based. And I think that that's something that's unique uh, in the particular cultural context that we find ourselves in, in this like city and in this state um, that I don't, I don't see being duplicated elsewhere, right? Like, Kind of the Bay Area has its own cultural mix, right? Uh, even like somewhere more up and coming like Austin or Denver has its own kind of cultural mix, but they don't have, I, I, just, I don't know if it's, and I might be imposing my own bias being from here, um, but I don't see them quite having that that deep, like rich kind of cultural mix that we do here. Can I let you guys riff on that just a little bit more? Um, Ryan, have you seen that kind of thing? What Mike's <clears throat> talking about? Well, I mean, the geographic proximity to Mexico and the programs that we share um, from, you know, different uh, entrepreneur programs are obviously going to be more here than in some places that are farther away. Um, but I just, there's, there's just such a play on, on diversity and inclusion and generosity that I just, I don't hear a lot of other ecosystems putting such an emphasis on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I liked what you said about um, going back to what you said about measurement. And I wrote down the word purpose because it sounds like you're talking about a more purposeful interaction. Almost like, hey, when there's um, when there are founders giving back, they want to know that what they're doing matters. And that whole measurement, that the, the practicality of measurement, like when I when I was in other when I've been in other places, there's a lot of dreaming. And um, that's one of Mike knows that's one of my frustrations, seeing so much, so much dreaming and talking, which is awesome, right? That's awesome. Vision casting and everything is awesome. But then 
being able to bring that back down and say, okay, well, very, very quickly after that conversation, we don't keep talking about the dream part. We also maybe talk about how, what's going to happen then. Like, what are we going to do now? Right. right. How do you execute on that? Mm. Yep. That's a huge part of it. I mean, I think if you look at the difference between if you never try to do anything in life versus having all the potential and dreaming about it, but never acting on it, it's pretty much the exact same outcome. So like we always say, like action is the only true form of currency. <laughs> I'm Chris is that down. He's, he's writing that down. The pen came out. I heard the click. He's like, Ooh, that's gold. Because <laughs> awesome. it is gold. That's a great, great statement. And I, I wonder if there is something. I, I, I'm, I'm riffing out loud here. So uh, riff, go. I don't know that that's intrinsic to like Phoenix, but I do feel like there is this like little bit more grit, like pull your up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, and maybe there's an element of like, there's a little less funding here than you might find in the Bay area. And so everyone's kind of forced to be a little bit more practical yeah. and say, well, how are we going to get this done for a little bit cheaper or a little bit less money or with a little less support than we might somewhere else. But we also don't have to maybe play as many games either to go mm. get that money. Very true. And, um, and maybe even end up with more equity because yep. you vetted yourself. Yep. Right? And I do think that there is, I mean, sorry to, you op- you open up the uh, historian mic box. Uh, <laughs> I mean, some of that might just be our cultural roots too. You know, this kind of wild west state that is still trying to figure itself out and still has some of that like very strong independent, like streak of independence. And we do our own thing and Kind of like, this is my land, not your land. And yeah, I'll do what I want with it. Yeah. <laughs> with air conditioning or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and so I'm, I'm curious if I might um, just ask, well, what do you guys, I mean, so we talked about VC funding and I guess what I'm kind of curious about is what do you guys think would make more VCs consider this a, like, well, what's the next thing? Like if we had this, we would immediately be more interesting to VCs? Bigger exits. I think, um, you know, there's there's certain tolerance for risk um, that it's just you can't get away from. So companies, you know, starting here or moving here and growing and having economic impact and then having exits for VCs um, would validate that it can be done here. And so that, that's a big part, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what attracts VCs is, is the return. Yeah, and I think I was just having this conversation with some people in the banking world here and just their perspectives of both from a private equity standpoint and from a debt debt standpoint, that there's just uh, there's not only a lack of exits, but there's a lack of like big exits that have money being put back into those like that startup culture. You know, like even some of the larger exits we've seen, the money has been just put back into real estate or into kind of like quote unquote, safer bets in the community rather than back into like the risk takers and the people who are really trying to like get new ideas off the ground. So I think it's like, you got to have both. You got to have not only like big exits, but you got to have the right exits where the money is actually going to go somewhere that's going to further that. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause I think we've seen that not to pick on anyone too closely, but like GoDaddy, right? Like is a pseudo exit for him and yet most of that money hasn't gone back into additional startups. It certainly didn't go back into the employee base, which is where you see a lot of like when big exits happen, one of the best ways that you see that being reinvested in the community is when 
employees have equity stake in as part of that exit and are therefore like inspired, like, oh, I have some cash. Maybe I'll go start my own thing or I'll mm-hmm. partner up with some friends and get their thing going. And that's just that hasn't happened here. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. So there's a big responsibility of the actual companies themselves and the private sector to create that ecosystem and mm-hmm. to make it attractive for VCs. But the state is also doing quite a bit. Like mm-hmm. the Arizona Commerce Authority has the Arizona Innovation Challenge, which mm-hmm. is the largest challenge uh, for a grant that the startup can apply for and go through the process of Venture Ready, which if you get if you're awarded the AIC grant, Venture Ready is a year long program to give you opportunities uh, to accomplish milestones and to learn mm, different ways of uh, managing your company that you might not otherwise have access to, workshops, educational Mm -hmm. conversations. And so the state's doing all it can to create that unique, you know, startup ecosystem that's competitive. Um, But on the other side, like you mentioned, to tie it back to the private sector, the companies definitely have to have some responsibility to do that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's the business that's exiting. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point about ACA. And, you know, there's a lot of smaller groups, I think, also trying to be a part of that and really kind of spur on uh, the growth of startups here and providing whether it's actual services or education and and certainly money, too. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of good stuff going on. But that big exit does feel like the missing piece. Right. That's, that's kind of like that's that's the goal. Yeah. 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 And I do feel like it, it probably is a, a downhill run at that point. You know, you get the big exit now all of a sudden, like if there's money in the community, plus VCs, I think are more willing to go, oh, okay, so we've seen success in this community. We're willing to put more money back into it. Right. They've figured something out yep. that's worth paying attention to. Yep. So that's good. Chris is formulating yeah. it. <laughs> oh, I, well, I am. I'm trying to figure out, like, do we want to tackle this right now? <laughs> my question is... Uh, <clears throat> well, is there is there one next thing like is there is there is there something that the community here can do to affect mm-hmm. that big exit? Because I'm I'm seeing when I hear a big exit, I'm thinking okay, a lot of things have to come together at mm-hmm. once, and you know how do you un- unravel that to figure out you know okay what's the sequ- sequence of events? But maybe I'll just ask like, is there something that the local community could be better at mm-hmm. that would be something that we could like actually aim at? an objective that might be doable, right? That, that could move that needle a little bit. I mean, the communities can educate. Um, they can make it obvious that there's opportunities and early stage resources for companies. But I also think that um, the responsibility is on the, the individuals, the founders that are creating those, their own communities really, to have some type of process to determine is this, what are practical outcomes that we can achieve um, and how do we get there? So the resources are out there, whether it's mentorship, whether it's access to funding, whether it's, um, you know, going in front of a group of people and pitching and getting better at describing your value. All of those things are super important ways that you can create those outcomes. Um, and I guess education does need to happen at every level so that people are aware of that. Um, but I definitely think it's important to have the individual feel responsible for making it happen and not just rely on those opportunities to find them. Mm. So it's the individual founder. It kind of goes back to like, you just got to work hard. You just got to do the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like show you want, up. You want to be an entrepreneur? Be an entrepreneur. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be based on your grit. I mean, so many different factors obviously have to come in together um, well, but 
the, I think the biggest thing is to build that core team that mm. um, works together and um, balances each other out just to make this engine of growth. Mm. So, so, um, so when I flippantly say you want to be an entrepreneur, be an entrepreneur, really what you're saying is, okay, cool, do that. How you do it, though, depends a lot on who's around you. Who's like, you know, you. In my experience, that's all it means. That's, that's like literally <laughs> that's everything, like everything, especially when you're a small early team. Every single person you bring on has a huge impact on the dynamic. And, and so everybody is much, they can contribute to the success or the fail much more early on than you can going into a large company. Um, so recognizing that and building a team that can do that is, you know, half the battle. Hmm. And then, uh, and then kind of tied into that, I hear, it sounds like you're saying also that, um, the, the community then comes, comes at that other like vector. Like you have, you have people like working with you on your team closely every day, but then you have this community that you need to learn how to access, which sounds like maybe it's a little bit of work and you're going to have to go out there and like do some stuff and it's not going to automatically, you know, yeah. I, I, work. I really did meet somebody once that thought when he hit compile on the keyboard, somebody would knock at the door to buy the program. <laughs> right? Legit, like said that. And uh, if I build I it, that, they will come. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, you have to build the community first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's funny. I was talking to my, I was talking to somebody, I was talking to somebody and um, who will remain, remain nameless and um, worried about like using Google Docs because it's not secure because he has this awesome idea. I'm just like, all right, so we have a provisional patent. Cool, right? Um, so we're doing stuff, but it's like really like you have to think about how hard it is. I think if Seth Godin talks about how hard it is to get someone to steal your idea, you know? Yeah. It's like it's not yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get your idea out there and actually get someone. Yeah, to let alone it like the work it's gonna take to the hustle it. and the drive and the right. grit it's gonna take to actually like get it to a point where it's actually worth something. If it was that easy for people to steal your idea, it would also be that easy to market your idea. Yeah, yep. like you press compile, yep. like you put it on Google Doc in a secret link document, and like your product selling. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> because... It sold itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I would say that IP is important, but mm -hmm. customers are always going to be more important. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you're operating in stealth mode and you're worried about somebody stealing your idea, customers aren't going to know about you either. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's hand in hand. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. There's my golden nugget. I'm going to write that one down. What's that? If you're operating in stealth mode and yeah. no one knows about your product and your customers don't either. That was good. That was really good. <laughs> of course, I'm the marketing guy. So, of yeah. course, I think that's good. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's the thing. Like, a lot of engineers, like, I love engineers, but a lot of times it's like, my idea is brilliant. People mm -hmm. are going to look at it and just go crazy. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, take it, take it to a few, you know, take it, present it to a few people and see if, yeah. You get much money offered to you. <laughs> you know, the way we perceive our back. own products is almost never how like the, the customer sees it. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. we get entranced with like, oh, this is how I built it. And these are all the choices I made in that process. And I'm geeking out over all these like little features and things. And yeah, maybe like a really diehard customer who's been using it for years will have those those same interactions, those same feelings. But on day one, they're like, does it solve this one problem I have? Right. right. And that's all they care about. I know yeah. for, for me, I'm just like, you know, if I just had, if I was selling a product, I think I would just, based on my past failures, you know, um, I think I would just say like, this is just going to be fun learning about how to sell this and just what people need and all the conversations mm -hmm. you're going to have. It's almost like that's the attitude that I want to have just so I wouldn't 
like get burned out, give up, mm-hmm. you know, because you just can't expect press compile. <laughs> yeah, it takes grit and you have to be passionate uh, because the amount of work you have to put in is going to require you to be passionate. <laughs> right? It's going to require more yep. than just getting up and going to work. Yeah, yep. that's good. You already asked that one. That was a man, that was a good one, Chris. Thanks. Ryan, what's one piece of advice or maybe a couple pieces of advice? We don't have to limit it to one that you'd give other founders just getting started building a company here mm. in the Phoenix area. I mean, it goes back to that tribe thing. So, you know, maybe starting a company and growing it is not necessarily your thing, but you want to find out if it is. Or maybe there's an aspect to building a company that you're good at and that you're going to be happy doing, but it might not be the entire like entire thing, right? Mm -hmm. One aspect of it. So surrounding yourself with a community of people that each have those unique attributes and finding out what it's like before you jump into it might be a good idea. Um, You're obviously never going to know for sure until you try it, until you jump in. But that community component and having people that are there to uh, invest in your success, right? They care that you are going to get to some point of success is going to be, I think, the first important step. And it's not necessarily the first step everyone always takes, but I think it really starts to click once you get that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the biggest thing I always say is that that tribe or community of people. You know, the other thing is being the whole pivot aspect. You have to be flexible that the market might not need what you think it does, but being able to recognize that early on and place an emphasis on finding out if that's the case, have mechanisms in place. Mm. Some of those could be like, if you have a software platform, how often are your customers logging in and using it? Having them give feedback on the value. Is it a painkiller or is it just a vitamin, right? Is Mm. this something that I now cannot live without or is it just something cool that I don't need? That's really important. So it's not just enough to solve a problem, but solve it in a way that now the market can't live without it. I think that that's, that's something that uh, a lot of people don't pay attention to early on because they get caught up in how cool their product is. Like you said, it's a reflection of how smart I am. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> if yeah. people don't buy it, it doesn't right. matter. Yeah. It's, I'm not selling my, I'm not, I'm going to sell my ego here. Right? Yeah. Well, t- tell us, tell Pro- us about product that. Product without customers is just a hobby, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, tell us about that. I mean, so you guys had to pivot. <clears throat> how hard was that? How long did it take once you, like, was it an emotional, like, like literally, like I was kind of tied to the initial? Um, I've never really been that tied to uh, the way that we go to market or the product itself. Um, we recognized that there was a need, right? Um, and then the market said there was a need. But in our case, it was like, okay, but which market, right? Mm. So, so I guess it was a more data-driven, methodical approach slash you know, falling into pieces of information. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not, it wasn't about vanity. It was really easy to pivot, I think. And our, uh, you know, stakeholders were on board with it as well. Um, And, uh, you know, it's just, it's important to recognize, um, like, how you can do that early enough on to where it's not too late. Yeah. Like, we're about to go through um, somewhat of a reband brand right now, and it's important to do that early on. The reason that's also important is because of our pivots, like we need to make sure that our messaging and the way that we 
embody the brand and the value that we give to the markets, um, that that is something that resonates with them at, at all times. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting challenge to have to like not only pivot from a market standpoint, but now you're kind of pivoting a bit of the identity too. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the best thing that we can do is to communicate the messaging, the why, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so I'm interested because you said, um, <clears throat> before you said um, you have to have that passion, right? Um, but the passion, it doesn't sound like in your case was tied to the market. It wasn't necessarily tied to like even your brand. You're like, I'm you know, not passionate about, like, I'm not holding tightly onto something that doesn't really matter. I'm passionate about that, which matters, which, how do you know the, how does a founder know the difference so that you can know, he or she can know like where, like what areas you're willing to pivot in and then what areas are fundamental? That's like a very deep philosophical question. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> um, I, I think the, the, the best way I could put it is um, as long as your focus is on serving the customer and giving them as much value or making th- the way that they do their business better or more effective, as long as the focus is on the customer and not about like vanity or the brand that I built or the product, you know, because it's cool to me, as long as the focus is on the customer, you can't do you can make mistakes, but you're always going to your intention is always going to be okay. The customer does this help them, or should I be doing something else? So you focused on a what? If I'm hearing you correctly, you're focusing on a problem, not necessarily a particular client, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, like so, you just said you know care about your audience or your 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 you know, but you let the the value determine that. Like you you said, okay, well, to which audience is this most valuable to? And so for you, so for a for one founder which is why it's a deep philosophical conversation uh, question for one founder, that particular audience might be the most important. So they might pivot the product. Mm-hmm. So is that fair to say? Like it's, it's okay as long as you're focused on like passionate about like something in particular. Yeah, that makes sense. So it doesn't matter what you pivot or what you change, as long as that change is focused on adding more value, gotcha. whether that's changing the market or the product um, or, you know, your team. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you approach solving the problem that can all be flexible, but as long as your focus is on adding value to the, I mean, the person that's paying for it, the company that's paying for it, or the the um, the market that's going to be responsive to it. Um, so, the problem that we solve of you know the frustration of low engagement on traditional communication channels that's where we're focused on solving the mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. and we're doing it for nonprofits because mm-hmm. that's who has the most to gain from solving that problem yeah so so passion really you need to define your passion what you need to be passionate about so you can carry that passion through and the momentum that comes with that but then be willing to pivot on those other things so so knowing the difference yeah, that's a really good point. How do you know the difference? And I think it's a personal thing. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's always, for me, there's always that, that, that question between like, okay, logic and then emotion. And emotion is a real part of this. And mm-hmm. so, you know, being able to identify that passion, knowing the truth about your product and yourself, you know. Um, yeah, and I wonder if there's mm-hmm. even just like the case to be made of like going into it with as much like open-mindedness about like, where are we going to end up with this? Mm. Like I'm going to have a vision, but I'm also going to like kind of hold that loosely, especially early on and really like test as much as I possibly can in that process. And really the, it's almost like at that point, the passion is about, yeah, like whatever particular piece of that first got you in. Right. Uh, Maybe it's the audience, maybe it's a part of the product development. Maybe it's a part of, 
you know, a particular like aspect of the build or something and holding tightly to that, but letting everything else kind of, kind of flow. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm biased. I'm always the guy that's like every startup we've ever worked with, especially like super early stage, like ideation, we're working with one right now. And it's like six months into it and they've already pivoted like three times on their product. Mm -hmm. And some of that's Mm -hmm. because we're like, Hey, what is the most like basic thing you can put in someone's hands to even validate that this is something somebody wants, right? Are you going to produce value for anybody? Um, It doesn't really matter how much you like your own product. Mm. Um, until someone else pays for it, you have no like real feedback Yeah, that this is something that anyone wants. That's um, very true. Um, and I think it's important to keep that in mind, get to the point where customers are using it as quickly as possible. Um, but then there's a flip side of that in that like no one wants to make assumptions mm-hmm. on when they build yeah. a product, yep. but there's, there's a tendency for you to want to say yes to everything the customer thinks they need Mm -hmm. and so you there's a a risk of building a product that solves the problems perfectly for that one customer but not the rest (laughs) but no one else (laughs) yes so the art of saying no and the uh ability to build with your customer at the same time Mm. is a balance you have to walk yeah Mm. yeah no it's it's definitely it's a balancing act yeah (laughs) yeah because that's a slippery slope (laughs) Saying yes to everything customers want. Right. Yeah. Just go talk to everybody that works at Adobe. <laughs> they build everything. They build, I think they've added every feature anyone's ever requested. Yep. I think they've gotten a little better in the past couple of years, but that was a, a, pro, a, a software product that I've been very close to for a very long yes. time. Yes, yeah. you have. And uh, I remember, you know, just really almost like since day one, like people have complained about the bloat in their products. Mm. Um, and it's like, but when you ask people to identify which thing is the bloat, you get like a million different answers. Right. And it's cause they've, you know, really packed every feature in that they can think of or that anyone's asked for. And mm-hmm. it serves somebody, but, but at then some we'll, point, at yeah. some point, but then what if it's a big customer? Cause we had, we had software oh. where I, a previous place I worked where, um, where we had software and it was for a lot of applications. Almost anybody could use it. But we did have one big, you know, client that you'd know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone in the United States would know them. All of a sudden, they were they were like making demands on the software functions and stuff, and we're just like, which at what point are we going to have to say like this isn't just for you? You know, this is like this. Uh, any changes we have to make have to yep. go into a decision making like you know uh, decision matrix. You know that yep. that you know, lets us be objective about this. Yep. And so that we're not just serving one customer. And then now, now we're essentially an arm software arm. Yeah. You know. And I found that I, this isn't always the case, but it might be indicative of too wide a reach with your customer. Like you haven't segmented enough to really understand like a large enterprise cut. And I've seen this a lot with like B2B software, small customers don't have the demands that large customers have. And large customers expect a more tailored, customized solution from your software product. No matter what they're paying. Well, (laughs) no matter what they're paying, but also they're willing to pay more. Right. And so if you've structured your business, um, and I've seen this with a couple software companies that we've worked with, if you structure your business for small businesses, but then you're also saying, oh, but we also support enterprise, but we don't have any of the services. We don't have the type of agreements that match what they're looking for. We don't have the professional services support that they're going to want and need. Then I think you, 
in my opinion, again, I'm the brand guy. So I'm like, there's a little bit of like a brand issue. Right. It's really like, hey, we've, we're not being truthful as to who we're actually serving yep. with our product. And it's really literally just like, we have to make a decision. Do we serve this smaller business audience segment? Or are we going to do the hard work of building out an enterprise division to our software? And yeah. to this, it's really more about the support that you give, I've found. Um, sometimes it is the software and how it's built. But um, And then I think this goes back to passion. You know, it's like, what's, what's the core? You know, what's our mm-hmm. passion? And how do we, given that our passion is what fires us and fuels us, yeah. then, you know, how do we make decisions based on that passion? Like the yeah. passion almost becomes kind of the goal, right? Yeah, the challenge is money. And that's what I've seen typically is when you get distracted, it's usually with a customer or a client who has a lot of money on the table. Mm. And it's really hard to walk away from it. Yep, that's true. <laughs> or even a, even a market that's, segment, right? You yeah. can like, oh, there's a lot of potential there. And the, the reality might be like, well, we're just not built for it. Or if we do want to build it, we need to really invest heavily before we get into or really get deeply into that segment. Yeah, there's a, there's a dance, I think, between, um, you know, wanting to add value to every opportunity and mm-hmm. saying no to those opportunities because it doesn't make sense based on your segmentation, based on your ability to understand the buyer persona, for instance. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for us, because it was sort of something that could have been market agnostic, um, it wasn't until we said, okay, we're all in on this particular use case that things started to really click. Uh-huh. Uh, but focus came into focus. Yeah, the, uh, but in. the, the initial intuition before mm-hmm. you do that is that you're possibly giving up on opportunities. Yep. You're a- That's a- what it feels alienating like. Alienating yourself. Yeah. Yep. Pigeonholing. Uh, it's something you have to do though. Yep. Especially from a messaging standpoint. Until you focus, you're not going to have the content, the messaging, um, to resonate with the actual person that says this product is for me. Yep. I Branding. think we've been reading from the same handbook. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, one more question. We got we got five minutes left. Yep. Um, one more question. Uh, so, what's one piece of advice you'd give other founders who are just getting started building a company in Phoenix? I keep coming back to the community aspect of it, but um, it's really about having people that want you to succeed. Um, and giving you opportunities to sort of navigate that landscape early on. And really, I think it's important to determine, like, what do you want to actually do with that company? Because there's lots of different things. There's avenues you can take. Do you want to, like, create a high growth, like, we're going to think big and scale this unicorn to exit in five years, and it's going to be a billion-dollar company. We're going to go IPO. Are you interested in just, you know, creating a lifestyle that you're proud of and that you'll consider, okay, that's, that's a win. That's a success. Understand what you're trying to accomplish early on, because that's going to be key in determining the path. Mm. And that, that ties back into the community aspect of it. And I, and I mean, people that have walked those different paths before and can advise you. So mentorship is huge. I I love that um, because it's very practical. It's like knowing, because that's going to determine what kind of funding, what kind of conversations you have with people, the, the kind of people you talk to. Like, I don't want to waste someone's time. And if I can meet with them and just say immediately, like, this is where I'm going. This is the goal. They can just be like, I'm not your guy, but I might be able to tell you some other guys. And now you've both saved, like, a ton of time. Yeah, <laughs> a ton of heartache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, what are three? Um, and I'll let um, you can you can use a lifeline to Mike if you need to. Um, but three ways um, entrepreneurs um, can can interface with people like this. So you talked about the communities, right? So they're probably events or groups that people can be in. Where do I start looking? What are three places I can look online and find out? Hey, how do I get involved in a meeting or something like that mm -hmm. to get started? Obviously, Phoenix Startup Week is mm -hmm. a huge one. Uh, it's a week-long event with several different aspects to meet and get involved with others that um, are like-minded or trying to do the same thing. What's one thing I should do if I go to Phoenix Startup Week? I would say uh, pick um, topics that you're probably going to be aligned with, you know, um, so that the people that you meet and rub shoulders with are probably going to be more relevant conversations. And so you can find all that on the website, right, mm -hmm. Mike? Yeah, phxstartupweek.com. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a Yes PHX Startup Weekend. There's another uh, activity. There's all types of really good chats. Um, like Startup Grind has a bunch of great chats that you can go to, fireside chats, you know, keynote speaking engagements where you can meet a lot of people that are really interested in the local entrepreneurship scene. I mean, we already talked a little bit about House of Genius, but if you've got a, a product or an idea concept that you're working on and maybe are getting, starting to develop and get it out there, like that's a great opportunity to get in front of like some very, like a very tight, specific group of people and get a lot of like kind of diverse ideas about how you can improve or if you have a specific challenge you're trying to solve um, yeah. in a very quick setting. Yeah, I think they do a really good job of having the people in the room as relevant to you, your use case, your idea, um, and your ask as mm -hmm. possible. Yep. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Is there anything that you want to plug uh, for Bright Guests, maybe an event or project or new release or anything you want to get out there with? I would say if you want to learn more about um, how our platform can help, mm -hmm. uh, you can text the word ENGAGE to 27000. Check it out for yourself. That was ENGAGE? ENGAGE. At, or what am I texting it to? You're just texting the word ENGAGE yep. to the phone number, the shortened number, 27000. 27000. I love it. That's, that's easy. Cool. Easy. Very easy. It's frictionless. Yeah. It is frictionless. Well, this is it, Chris, for another episode of AZ Braincast. I know, it's amazing. Thank you. Always amazing. Thanks to everybody for sticking with us and listening today. Uh, and if you're listening to us on the podcast from one of your favorite podcast apps, we thank you. And uh, if you haven't already, a great thing you can do is check out our website at azbrandcast.com. Get all the information about our episodes. But first, give us a whole bunch of stars on whatever Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us some platform. stars. Like, like all go the on stars. iTunes, all go on Stitcher, go on... Google Play, give us some stars. Our podcast is on there, so get subscribed and give us a review. Um, and just a huge thanks to the people like Conscious Capitalism Arizona who make sure that this uh, this podcast can happen every single month. Thank you to Karen Nowicki and her team at Radio Business Radio X. My goodness. We love Karen. Um, we do love Karen. We love her team. They do a great job producing this episode every single month. And thanks to our friends at Max 6 for hosting us here in their beautiful workspace. So thanks, everybody. Hope you all have a great Wednesday. I know. We'll talk to you guys next time.